This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. What's going on, everyone? And welcome to episode 231 of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Calvin Chin, a real estate investor based in the Bay Area, who went from working at a high-paying tech job into becoming a full-time real estate investor. Calvin is the fiancé of my good friend, Jenny Lott, a top 30 under 30 realtor and podcast guest way back on episode 22. In this episode, we'll be talking about how he went from purchasing single-family homes into buying commercial multifamily properties and how to build relationships with brokers to have them take you seriously and have them start sending you more deals. We'll also be talking about their coaching program and how they're helping dozens of investors get over their negative mindset issues to start investing and begin their path towards financial freedom. So if you're looking for an easy way to get into real estate investing, then you need to listen to this episode. If you enjoy this podcast, do me a quick favor and support the show by leaving a review on the Apple Podcast app. The more reviews we get, the more the show will grow, which lets us do more cool stuff. And this real estate market is still incredibly hot. So if you're looking for a hard money loan for your fixed and flip projects, or if you're looking for a 30-year fixed loan for your rental properties with rates as low as 4%, then you can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Let me know that you're a podcast listener, and I'll give you a discount on our processing fee. And now, on to the show. All right, Calvin, thank you so much for being on our show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. Yeah, so uh, name is uh, Calvin Chin. I'm uh, a full-time real estate investor now. Um, I, uh, you know, was background-wise coming from the tech space. I think like all of us do. And I think from all of our perspective, we always are, are raised from even day one as we're kids that, you know, you know, from society, get a good job, like get good grades, get a good school, right? Um, keep your head down and like retire at 65 with the white picket fence, two and a half kids and a golden retriever, right? Uh, that was always embedded in me, right? So that's exactly what I tried to do. I wouldn't say I was the smartest student around, but uh, you know, got good enough grades to get to a decent school and, you know, got a, got a good tech job out of college and put my head down and, and joined the corporate ladder. And, and I think at the end of the day, I felt like all of us feel at some point that there's gotta be more life than, than this, this, right. And, you know, one morbid thing I'll, I'll talk about that, uh, that kind of changed my life was like, just understanding, like, you know, on my deathbed, like what. I wanted, if someone ever asked me if I had any regrets, like would I have any regrets in life, like what I, what that would be, right? And really when you when you ask that question to the people on their deathbed, it's it's mostly like, hey, it's never, never ever, I wish I worked more, right? It's always, hey, I wish I spent more time with my family, I wish I, wish I was more present, I wish I started a business, things like that, right? So I knew, you know, I had to find a way out and, um, you know, started getting into real estate investing, I think about six years ago now. Um, Built that portfolio up to recently now uh, left my 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 high paying Bay Area tech uh, golden handcuffed uh, corporate job uh, to just do full time real estate investing and I couldn't be happier. That's crazy, man. Because like I said, we have similar backgrounds where we have we studied a lot, right, to get to where we were in our careers, and we kind of just gave it up <laughs> to pursue something that's completely irrelevant to what we studied all that time. I mean, your yeah. job too, like you guys got paid a lot. Um, do you want to talk about like what, what you did uh, before you left to do real estate? Yeah. Yeah. So I sold corporate, uh, I sold uh, software, right? So started at a company called Oracle, small one, right? That maybe some of you guys have heard about, but uh, sold database and cloud storage there and then transitioned to HR IS software, um, you know, and, and to be honest, like I know a lot of people will say like, hey, I hated my W-2, but to be honest, I, I, I much enjoyed my W-2. I, I really thrived in it. I loved it, um, you know, because of the people, one, but also, you know, I, I always viewed it as a vehicle, right? Just like real estate, just like money, it's, it's a vehicle to help us live a life that we want to live, right? So um, use it while you can, right? And I think that's like one advice I, I learned was that, you know, it's not just about like, oh, I hate my W-2, I got to get out of it. Sure, that might be part of it, but hey, use it while you can, right? And, and Sean, you know, as much as, as anyone, like even having a w, W2 can help jumpstart and give you steroids to, to, or pour rocket fuel on, on your portfolio because, yeah, lending is a lot easier. There's a lot of easy things that, that can help you get into properties easier that way versus, you know, going full, full entrepreneur. 
Yeah, I mean, having a good W-2 is a great way to build capital, right? Like it's how you make money to then buy more investments. We do have a lot of friends in the space who left their full-time job without having a good amount of savings. And so now they're, you know, it's sad to say, but they have a lot of credit card debt. Um, they're struggling. They're, they're finding me one or two good deals for the whole year. Whereas if they could have just had a job, had a much easier life and still, you know, invested in real estate on the side. Yeah. Um, but I'm talk- going back to like the the whole like morbid thing about being on your deathbed and having all these regrets. You know, when I was working on my full time job, I hated it. I-, I didn't enjoy sitting there. I felt like I was getting paid just to warm my seat. Um, my coworkers were, you know, uninspiring people. They mm-hmm. were maybe thirty years my senior. They were complaining about the job. They were complaining about the pay. We didn't have these crazy benefits. But then from an outsider's perspective, I look at you, right? And I say, damn, you have a good job. You guys get paid pretty well. What what made it so that you wanted to leave that job? Yeah, no, that's a great question, man. I think at the end of the day, like the purpose, right? Like, yes, yeah, cool. Like selling HR software, man, it's it's cool. But like what 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 impact do we really make on, on the world because of that, right? And there's a really good book by David Brooks called The Second Mountain, right? And it really goes over two mountains, right? Your first mountain is like all of us are climbing, right? Trying to get fulfilled and you know, all the F's in life, right? Finances, fitness, uh, faith, friends and family, right? And we're all trying to get to that point. But then the second mountain is once your cup is full, like you have enough to pour into other people, right? And that second mountain is all about, okay, what kind of impact can I make on the world? What kind of legacy can I leave to not only my family, but the community and people I touch, right? Um, and even for you, Sean, like even this podcast, like that's a great impact that you're helping a lot of people out, uh, you know, just get started in real estate or, 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 or take that next step, right? And, um, you know, that's what we wanted to do. And like, you know, we had this idea of, you know, we, we now also do real estate coaching and, um, you know, part of that was how can we make an impact on this world on, on a different place, right? And, you know, we were like at first, like, hey, let's start a nonprofit, let's let's hand out, you know, uh, you know, soup in the kitchen, things like that. But you know, we're, we we were understanding like, what are our gifts for us? Like, what are the superpowers that we have, right? And we were like, hey, this real estate thing is has done pretty well for us, and you know, we've been able to you know live a life that we live today. Like, why can we not bring that to other people, right? And so that they can live a more abundant life, and then spread that. And that's really that compound interest right there of if we can help someone else, like one of our students, right? They can help someone in their community. Maybe it's their friends, their family, their cousins, their brothers and sisters, their daughters or sons, right? And then they can do the same thing over and over and over again. And I'm not saying that we're going to make an Elon Musk level of impact, but heck, man, like if we can make the world a little bit better place than, than we did before, um, that's really what it's all about. And I kind of circle back on full circle on your question. Like, you know, I wasn't getting that right at, at, at my job right? At my, at my corporate job, right? I worked at a Fortune 250 company. Again, great culture. I love the people that work there. But at the end of the day, man, like, you know, there's, there's a financial piece, sure, right? But that's the golden handcuffs, right? You, I always felt like I was always, you know, trading my time for money, right? And I got, I think we all got to a point where, you know, our, our, we, we had done it for so long and we used that as a vehicle that, you know, that caught up where our assets were making us enough money where I could comfortably say I'm good on the job and focus on really what I was passionate about, which was, again, making a better impact on this world and, and, and having more purpose because and you, you have your thing too. And, and like, I think for the most part, like when you see people make a transformation and change in their life and they're grateful for that, dude, there's no better feeling than that. There's, it's priceless, right? So I think that right there in, inherently is, is one of the most valuable things that anyone could feel, one, but two, like give to the world. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, you know, going back to your point, if you're selling software, you don't feel the impact of all the lives you're changing from selling the software to a company. I felt the same way, you know, making satellite, I was a small piece in this giant wheel. And, yeah. you know, the satellites are out there possibly saving lives of soldiers. I have no idea. Right. Uh, but I didn't feel fulfilled for working on the satellite. Whereas for real estate investing, for hosting meetups, having this podcast, creating YouTube videos, it's nice. Cause I have people sending me nice long emails saying, Oh my God, you helped me so much. I got into my first deal as a hard money lender. You know, I am working full time. I have a job again, but I'm like enabling people's dreams because I'm yep. giving them money to let them become big investors. And it's really cool seeing some of my clients. Yeah. They're brand new. They have no idea. And I'm out here giving them really, really good loans. And now, now they're able to like do their projects and become flippers themselves. So yeah, yeah it's super fulfilling and it's different, right? It feels different. You're, now we're working, we're still working, but it's play. It's not yeah. like I'm grinding yeah. just for money. It's purposeful. You're like you're doing it because you have a choice to do it and you want to. And you've helped a lot of my students too, right? And it's just like, man, like it's just an awesome feeling to see like, hey, Dushan, thank you so much for helping me build my empire, right? Build my portfolio so now I can give back too, right? Because again, at the end of the day, like what we always say, it's, you know, passive income is great, 
but it's all about passive impact, right? So you create the passive income to create passive impact, right? And I know that's what you're doing with your podcast, your, your meetups and in, even lending, right? Like you're giving people, enabling them to be able to take action. That's awesome. I actually never heard that phrase before, passive impact. That's so cool. Yeah. So let's go back to like your story. How did you get introduced to real estate investing? <laughs> well, you had Jenny on, on the show, uh, you know, in, in the very beginning and, uh, you know, she's yeah. my she's fiance good friend now. From college. Good friend yeah, from college. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, I was in this stage of my life where I was still in this boyhood. Right. And, uh, when I was like 20, 22, 23 and, um, I, we were both in this crux of, we were both working at Oracle, so actually where I met her. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I applaud her because she was the first person to be like, hey, like, I, I'm going to go take action somewhere, right? So, you know, what, she was at this conference one time, and she just dragged me to this conference. And I got in there, and they were doing the Tony Robbins, like, hoorah stuff. And I was like, man, this is like a cult. <laughs> and, but I stayed, right? And that changed my life forever, right? I stayed and I was like, wow, what is this, this real estate thing? Because we have been looking for like, what are the ways that we can do this? Like we always heard of real estate, we looked in the stocks, you know, my dad is in stocks, um, crypto as well. Like, you know, we, that's another conversation for our time. But, um, but real estate just, just made the most sense at that time. Like it was tangible, like there's so many different ways to make money. It, it felt like um, the, the most risk-free, but also like what the average person could do as well, right? Like, again, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, right? But it was something that I could conceptualize. Like I don't sit at the board of Apple. I don't do, you know, drugs with Elon Musk and and and, and stop him from you know tanking the stock market by sending tweets out in the middle of the night, right? Like I just had no control. And I'm a person that I love having control, right? Of of my situation, right? It's all about that whole piece of hey, be the CEO of your life, right? So, you know, I felt with real estate like you could actually do that, right? You can you are, you know, in a in a way a CEO of your portfolio, right? It's up to you to not only find the deal, but then manage it and make sure it's operationally efficient and actually making you money, right? Um, so that's what really drew, drew us to, to real estate, um, as a vehicle, right? Again, cause I don't, I don't want to lose sight of that. It's a vehicle, man, just like money, right? Just like stock, just like crypto. It's just a vehicle to be able to, to live the life that you want to live. And, um, you know, that's the, the perspective that we look at it at, at real estate. At. You know, um, I was actually on another person's podcast yesterday and he asked the same question, like, Hey, why real estate out of all the other businesses that you could have possibly done? And I told him, Hey, I actually did a lot of different businesses. Like back in the day, I was selling selfie sticks on Amazon back in 2015. <laughs> I made yeah. like kawaii selfies, you know, try to appeal to the girl crowd. Yeah, yeah. It didn't do it. Didn't do very well. Uh, I was selling eBooks. I was creating like a small tech business with my bros. But the thing is, with real estate investing, it's like it's like a consistent business that you can do, even if you're not like hyper business savvy. Because let's face it, most businesses when you start it, it have like a what 20% chance of succeeding over five years. So with real estate investing, it's like, well, you're buying day one and supposedly it's supposed to be cash flowing from day one. So yeah. you really can't lose as long as it continues to cash flow and you invest in a good market where you always have a tenant base, right? Right. And so. it's, a, it's a thing that's been around since the dawn of time, man. Like if you look at like back in the night era, era right? Like lords were landlords, right? Like yes. it's not going anywhere. Like people always need a place to live and, you know, population has been growing, right? And as you as you know, like there hasn't been a lot of houses being built, right, to, for the supply of people. So I mean, just look the, the the high level metrics right there. I mean, it's it's always going to be around, and you know, it's a it's a it's a physical asset asset as well. Right. So going from like as your first experience and your first exposure in like what 2015, uh, how did you make that transition to actually buying your first property? And like, what were some of your fears uh, before buying that very first one? <laughs> well, I had so many fears. Well, there, there's two two stories there. One is you know. The first thing that I did was was buy my my own personal place, right? And I did that to to house hack, right? I think you house hack as well. We mm -hmm. talked about that. You've been on our our, our uh, uh, university as well and talked about that. But I mean, it was really just to get our own finances right first, right? Because you know, as you know, right? Like if you can lower your expenses and continuously increase your income, right? You can take home more of that, and then that that's that in my mind puts rocket fuel to be like, all right, now I can start investing fast and scale that way, right? So. That was the first thing we did, and obviously living in San Francisco, it's not cheap, right? Um, I had a place, so I bought a condo. It was like I think my mortgage was like two thousand bucks. Um, I rented out. I was a one bedroom, one den, and I rented out San Francisco style, right? Uh, one of those uh, curtain rooms, right? <laughs> Essentially, it was like a den. I just put a curtain in there, um, rented out to a couple of uh, hackers, right? Uh, like you know, they're coding academy people, and uh, yeah, I rented that out and like for like 1200 bucks so my monthly nut was 800 dollars, where i was paying 1500 dollars for rent right i was getting the the principal pay down right i was getting the 
uh, well, I was lowering my expenses, right? It wasn't cash flow, but I was lowering my expenses from $1,500 to $800. Um, and I got the appreciation on it too, right? And obviously the tax write-offs, the depreciation. So, you know, it was a great way just to, to, to set myself up to one, stack more money and then, um, you know, be able to invest that. So I think more fear was actually on the first out-of-state investment property, right? And uh, the, uh, the first, my first out-of-state investment property was in Dallas. And I think we all go through those fears um, of like what can go wrong, right? And I think fear is, is, is a supernatural thing and, and really to get over that hump, I had to do a lot of work on myself of just like, all right, well, understanding where the fear comes from, right? I think if I look at the truth behind why I'm feeling this, like it made me feel a lot better about moving forward and empowering me to take action, right? Because, you know, where fear comes from is like, you know, back in the day when we were all cavemen, like there were like dinosaurs out there, right? So we had fear in us to protect us in case the dinosaur was trying to eat us, right? Nowadays, no more dinosaurs, right? Now, the fear is financial, right? Hey, what if I lose my money? I can't live, I can't support my family, right? So this, it's the same fear that, that people have. And, you know, for me, it was like, all right, well, let's, let's first understand where the fear is coming from. Hey, it's my body, it's a defense mechanism saying, hey, you know, watch out, like if you might lose your money kind of thing. And to that point, you just gotta say, hey, thank you body for being a defense mechanism, right? To try to protect me, but I got this, right? I've done the research. I, I've done all the things that I need to do to protect myself. I surrounded myself with the right people and the right mentors, right? That I feel confident that I can take action. And at the worst case scenario, what the, what's the truth behind it? Say I'm buying a $140,000 property in Dallas. Like, you know, we're in a barrier salary here. Like, what's the truth of the matter? Am I going to lose everything? No, right? It's a great way to get in, right? And and just see what happens, right? And again, got in, right? I got over that fear, got in, accepted that. And yeah, you know, overlooked a couple of things, right? I didn't look at CapEx, right? Like that was one thing that, I never even thought about like capex stuff. Why would I need that? I got maintenance for it. I got vacancy in there. Why would I need to, you know, trigger in there that, you know, uh, right off for? So that was a mistake I made. But, you know, again, I learned from that. And guess what? I'm never going to make that same mistake ever again. I write capex into every single of my deals to make sure that it looks like it's going to perform, right? Yeah. I mean, absolutely went through some fears, um, got over them <laughs> and uh, had new fears every single time that you kind of scale up to a new, you know, every time you go from single family to a bird to a flip to a, a quad to an apartment complex. I, I always had that like kind of tightening up, we'll call it <laughs> I'm like, oh crap. But at the same time, my, my philosophy of that is that if it doesn't scare you a little bit, it doesn't make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, then it's not worth doing, right? My model this year uh, is actually feeling comfortable being uncomfortable, right? Feeling comfortable being uncomfortable because what that means is like, because when we're uncomfortable, that's when the biggest growth happens. Right. So I want to be okay feeling uncomfortable because when you're comfortable, you're, compl you're complacent, right? You're on the couch, you're watching Tiger King on Netflix, doing nothing, right? Eating cheetahs, right? Where you feel uncomfortable is like, oh crap, I'm doing something. I'm doing something big. I'm doing something important, right? Um, and that's where I, I want to start living more in, even though it feels nerve wracking, right? It feels scary, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it feels uncomfortable, right? It's funny. So we, we have both have like courses and we have students. So we would teach people how to like buy properties out of state. And again, like the biggest fear is honestly like the fear of the unknown. Like they don't know what's out there. They don't know what they don't know. And they're scared that if they buy something, it'll put them in a worse financial position than if they did nothing at all. Yeah. Um, but then I found that once people buy their first deal and they realize like how like not a big deal it is, then they buy more, right? How often is it that one person buys a property and then within like one or two months, they buy another property? Yeah, you get the bug, man. You get, you the, get bug. the bug. Yeah. It happened to both of us, right? Like after yeah. I bought my first property, shoot, I bought another one and then bought a fourplex right after. Yeah. Uh, did the same thing happen to you? Yeah, exactly, man. It's like you, you get your first and you're like, wow, like this is this is super cool, right? And then like in the next couple of months, we're like, all right, let's look for another one, right? All right, cool. I got another one. All right, cool. Like how do we scale up? Like, you know, it, it's funny. Like I think we all have these limiting beliefs, right? In in my own mind, like in like when we first started investing, like we took, we went to seminars, all that stuff. And like the goal was, man, like my dream, my someday dream was like, oh man, if I have 10 units in my life, my lifetime, I'm going to be stoked. Like that'll be my life, right? Like I'll be stoked, right? And if I had a time machine, I would go back to Calvin, I'd slap him right across the face and be like, dude, like that was, you're dreaming way too small, right? Like, because that was what I thought was possible at the time, right? I just didn't know what was possible, right? Then you start seeing like your asses start to, you know, create momentum and you're, and your, and your assets are making you more money and, and buying assets, right? And then it's like a snowball effect of like it starts small up top and then you get the momentum of money or right? the momentum of assets and that's when you can blow up where, you know, now we're like, you know, we're, we're at 88 units and it's like, dude, like, I, you know, there's only even number like I, I feel like I can quantify because it, it changes every 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 couple of months I feel of like what's possible and what's not possible. Um, 
And uh, yeah, to your point, Dushan, on, on the student side of things, like, yeah, dude, I think, I think the biggest piece that I see a lot is the word I hear a lot is the empowerment. Like, I just feel empowered to take action, right? They just need that little push, right? Because, I mean, dude, we both have courses, dude, but anyone go on YouTube. Go on YouTube. You can go find those courses, all the how-to stuff. But guess what? People have done that. They've read all the books. They've done all the podcasts. They've gone on YouTube, read all, all those stuff. They haven't taken action. Why? Right? And it's because of the people you surround yourself with, one. But two, it's, uh, it's just that that the accountability that take action, the little push of like, hey, man, you got this, right? And it's that mindset piece that I think a lot of people talk about too, right? It's just like you need that uh, as, a, as a jumping off point. Exactly. It's so interesting. Like when you think about what's possible, I remember when I was working at my very first job and I was like 21 or 22 years old and I was calculating, how can I become a millionaire in my lifetime? Yeah. I thought like, this is like, oh, like, wow, it's impossible. Like my mom didn't make it, right? My dad didn't do it. I was yeah. like, how hard is it? I remember doing calculations. Like if I save 18,000 a year and it compounds at like 10% interest for a certain <laughs> year, I'll get it. And then boom, less than 10 years later, I got it, right? And it wasn't even that bad. Yeah. I didn't do anything crazy, right? I didn't invest in some, like, I didn't invest in Tesla when it was really low and then it went up. Yeah. But just like consistent, uh, putting your money in, saving it and investing the right stuff and then you get yeah. it. So, I love what you just said there too, dude. Consistency, right? And that's just like yeah. what separates people from like being as an identity, like the, a real estate investor or I like to call it a sunny morning investor. Are you a Sunday morning investor or are you a real estate investor? And, and, and it takes time, right? I think to create an identity, man, you got you to start with your habit building first. And then eventually it becomes your identity. Where I know for you, Sean, I don't know, I was speaking for myself, dude. In the very beginning, you know, I had that very imposter syndrome. Like the first year, like, oh, I got a couple properties in my belt, but am I really a real estate investor, right? I didn't feel that, right? For, you know, the first year or two, right? And, and you start to grow more. And you're like, man, like it's becoming more of like who you are as a being, as an identity, right? Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, on that point, right? Like, oh, I'm sorry, right? Oh, I was just gonna say, like, in the very beginning, you know, everyone knows me as an engineer. No one thinks of me as a real estate investor, right? Yeah. And even when I became a hard money lender, no one thought of me as a hard money lender for the first year. So yeah. I guess it yeah. just takes time to, to fill in that role. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned that, like, the whole identity piece is kind of where, like, I'm, I'm so focused on right now is because, like you said, like, you know, for me, at least it was like, you know, my identity was wrapped around, I'm a tech sales guy. Like, that's who I am as a person. Right. And then when you have to make that switch, right, to entrepreneur, to real estate investor, right, to a leader, right, it's, it's tough, man, because you're like, who am I? Right. And I, I really, I had, you know, went to a mastermind last weekend and really powerful one of my buddies. And I told him, he was like, dude, like, like who, who do you need to become, dude? Who, who do you, who, what's your new identity? And I was like, man, I don't, I don't know, man. Right. Like, I don't know what my new identity is. Right. Cause I've seen so wrapped up that that is my identity that, like, you got to know who, what your identity should be so that you, you, you can start to act like that person today that you need to be to become that person, right? It's kind of like dressing for the job that you want versus yeah. dressing for the job that you have, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%, dude, 100%, dude. Like, I'm not gonna say like fake it till you make it because I don't really think it's fake it you, but it's, it's almost like you're tricking your subconscious to think that you are that person because your subconscious works way more, uh, you know, bits per second than, than your, your, your conscious mind does, right? So if you can trick your subconscious and start thinking about that, right? It's like, for example, if I say like, man, Sean, like, dude, like, man, there's been a lot of red Mercedes on the road lately. Like you're gonna be on the road later, and you're like, wow, there's like five red Mercedes right here, right now, right? Uh, because your subconscious is not thinking about. It. So now you're like, you're seeking it out, right? And so when I think about like uh, investors, right? When I think about like, uh, and when people say, man, like you know, people are so lucky, right? Successful people are so lucky, right? What? Let's define that. What is luck, dude? Like, I think luck is just putting yourself in the right situations, right? And if you or, you know, if I, I'm telling myself, I'm a real estate investor, I'm a real estate investor, or, you know, I'm going to get to, you know, X amount of net worth or X amount of passive income, passive income, right? Like, you're going to start seeking out the opportunities, right, to get there, right? I remember when I was first trying to get into apartment complexes, I was like, I, I, I'd never done an apartment complex, but I wanted to, right? So I kept on saying, like, I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to apartment complex, you know, invest in an apartment complex. And, and eventually, you know, opportunities just started to randomly, luckily, maybe we'll call it luck, presented itself, but I took advantage of those opportunities when they came across, right? Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about your portfolio now. So in the beginning, you were doing like single family homes in, it was Dallas, right? Texas? Yeah, Texas. We started out in Texas, so Dallas, and then moved over to San Antonio. Okay. Um, and then I guess like how many units did you have until you transitioned into that whole like apartment version? And, and why go to apartments versus just continuing with like the single family space? Yeah. So we built it up. I mean, I think we got to like around 20 something units. Um, I forget now, but around that 20 unit range. And um, why, why well, Okay, so here's here's why really like I was finishing up a bird project, right? And this bird project took me like six months to complete the bird, right? In and out, right? And it was a great deal, right? I got all my money out and and some. We got all red so like in there and like it, the asset's been great, right? But 
the cash flow at the end of the day was like a hundred bucks, right? Uh, I met after all the refinancing, all, all the expenses and all that stuff. And um, I had spent like six months on it. And I was like, dude, like how many, I was doing the math, right? Just like you did, right? I was like, dude, I was like, how many of these do I have to do to get to where I want to be? And I was like, this is going to take forever, <laughs> right? So I was like, all right, like what's, I've always been scared or I had fear about doing apartment complexes because the number is bigger, there's an extra comma, we'll call it. Um, maybe, and I was like, you know, like, am I ready for this, right? So, you know, I think one was just surrounding myself with people that were doing it, right? And kind of just picking their brain and, and feeling comfortable. And, you know, I'm all about like, you are the five people that you surround yourself with, right? Um, or gave me enough confidence to be like, all right, I could, I could do this. Like, why, 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 why not? Logically, what's the truth behind this? Why would I not be able to do this? So, so that's really what got me to, to jump into that more commercial space. And I mean, if you think about the numbers there, I mean, we still do, I mean, commercial properties are basically just burrs, right? Like they're value adding right now. It's a little different because again, as we talk about control, right? You control the deal more because you understand, hey, what are the cap rates? You know exactly what the property's gonna be worth, right? You can prove that out to the bank, right? So with that being said, like, you know, I wanted, I love the whole, it's a math equation, right? Of like, you know, what what you could do, what you can raise rents to, what how much money you have to put in renovations, things like that, or is it operational? Is it a you know, an old property manager, mom, pa, that you just need to get someone in there that can raise rents and actually do it right, right? Um, but like at the end of the day, like, you know, we're doing the same thing, just a little, a little bigger money, right? And we're pulling out our own money. And now instead of cashing 100 bucks, we're cashing like 3,000 bucks, right? And that feels like it's more worth my time. And to be honest, the amount of work that I did to, to do a commercial deal versus like, you know, like a single family bird, Man, I would say very similar amount of work, maybe less on the commercial side, to be honest, um, if you built the team right. It's obviously, again, like in any real estate, it's on the front end of like, you building the foundation first. But man, like like now I now I see like the, the fruition of work. It's like, man, like why would I go back, right? Mm -hmm. And then um, what have been like some of the differences between single family versus multifamily? I mean, especially on the loan side, I heard loans for commercial are a lot harder to get. Yeah, on the loan side for sure. I mean, they're you know, you could be a twenty-year AM, twenty-five-year AM. It's five-year fix or ten-year fix, right? Like, so you know, you're always like thinking about, okay, well, in a five-year period, you're always, you know, what am I going to do next, kind of thing, right? Um, but uh, you know, I actually found like, I mean, right now the commercial ones are pretty, like, pretty, pretty, pretty nice looking, right? Like, I've I've talked to lenders that they're doing thirty-year fixed mortgages amortized, or not thirty-year six. I'm sorry, thirty-year amortized mortgages on on a commercial deal, right? A million dollars plus on the loan, right? Um, at like a 3.75%, right? And that's like really, really good. So I look at that right now and I you know, have students that are buying properties that are under 100K. They're having more problems playing loans than I am. It's true. None knows what want to do it. It's too low. It's, it's too, too low. low. They're not making any money, right? Like, yeah. But like, you know, and in, 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 to be honest, like under a million dollars, like, yeah, I was, I was having problems finding loans on, on the commercial side under a million, but above a million dollar loan, man, lenders are like, all right, cool. Let's go, let's go, right? And, and, and I think, Mid COVID, right? It was definitely harder, but now uh, banks are starting to loose, loosen up again, and, and they see like what's happening in the market, and they see what's happening in the rents and, and values right now. So yeah, they're, they're jumping back in. So yeah, right now, like man, like <laughs> this is gonna sound crazy, but I got a lender right now that's like you know instead of having six months to stabilize you know rents to show income, he's like I'll take one, right? Which again, like you know, are we in a bubble or not? I don't know, man. But like I'll take the loan when I can, right? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in terms of that difference, the lending side, absolutely. Um, I think the, the math equation, right, is, is a little bit different. I, I mentioned, like, you know, in a single family house, like, you don't control the comps, right? Like, hey, I hope that house next to me sells for more, so my value is more, right? Um, and you can obviously predict, like, hey, okay, well, if I renovate it to this scale, I can make it look like that house, then I can expect that kind of value, sure. But, you know, in, in, in commercial, I like it because it's, I mean, I'm very numbers driven. Right? I think you are too. It's like, hey, like, here it is. I, I can get the NOI up to here, right? By doing X, Y, Z. And based on the current trading cap in the area, you know, this is what the value is going to be. And again, like, you know, to be conservative, you always want to project a higher cap too, right? You know, I'm not saying like, we're going to have a lower cap. That'd be ridiculous. But, you know, saying we're higher, right? I think is, is what you're projecting. If that still meets your criteria, then hey, that, 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 that's a deal, right? Mm -hmm. And so how are you finding these opportunities? Yeah. So, I mean, similar to residential, I mean, you got a relationship, it's all people based, right? So um, network and, and, and brokers, right? So, I mean, my number one way of finding deals are, are just working with brokers, right? Um, and then creating a relationship with them. I think the same way you create a relationship with a real estate agent, right? A good one, um, like you want to build a trust, you want to, you know, build a brand for yourself that, hey, this is someone that can close, 
um, if they're putting in work for you, you you're showing them that they're, you're, you're receiving it and giving it back to them, right? So that they feel valued as well. Hey, you're sending me deals. Cool. I'm giving you feedback, right? I have a 48 to 48 hour response time. I've, you know, used to be 24 hours, you know, getting a little busier. So 48 hour response time of, hey, like, this is what I think of the deal, right? This is why I can or cannot do it. And that way, I mean, it's, it's a working relationship that you're going to start growing, right? Uh, with that person. And I, for me, like, you know, the last deal that we did, I've done like four transactions with this one broker in the last year, right? And um, like they, they gave us kind of the inside track on, on this deal. Like, hey, like, you know, you know, this is where I think you, you, you kind of need it. Like, here's some other offers. I think that you got, you're competing against, you know, these other offers. Like, you know, be competitive. This is what the owner's looking for, right? Giving you the more inside information that you need to be able to get a deal done. Just like a, just like a residential deal, right? Um, so, yeah, I think from that perspective, like being able to just build that relationship of this person's a serious investor and can close, right? Because if we look at not only our side, right? I mean, you, you do this on your side when you're lending. It's like, can this person actually execute and close, right? And you want to work with that person because, hey, that's, uh, as a commercial broker, man, it's not an easy job, man. I value them so much because, man, they're, 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 first few years of a commercial broker's life, man, they're not making any money, man. They're building relationships, right? So you're basically paying for the relationships that they built, the hard, you know, sweat equity that they put in phone calls, like uh, pounding the pavement, knocking on doors, flyers, all that stuff. And, um, like I value that, right? Because I don't want to do that. <laughs> so yeah, like you know, I value your relationship with that owner, and they're gonna call you for sure. But like, let me value that by at least giving you the time of day and making sure that I'm I'm being responsive and, and and not wasting your time because you only get paid when you close a deal, right? So how do you go about creating those relationships with a broker? Let's say that you know they're not somebody who's well known in the industry. They want to get into multifamily apartment buildings, but are basically starting from scratch. How do you go about creating those relationships with brokers? Mm, that's a great, great question. I mean, and that's funny too, because I think two, two things. I think on a residential side, a young, hungry agent is where I love the most because, you know, the established, established agents, like they've got their network. They've, they've already got their investors, their top five, right? So to break them to that top five, right? Like it's going to be tougher, right? So that young, hungry agent that's like up and coming and hungry, like I love that on, on the residential side. Commercial is a little bit different, right? Because the young and hungry commercial guy, they haven't really got the, the, the network yet, right? <laughs> they have no deals. Um, they don't have the deals yet, right? And yeah. absolutely, I mean, you can always stay in touch with them. And yeah, if, you're, if you get them when they're young and hungry, right, and you grow with them, oh my God, that's got to be the, the creme of the creme right there, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of got a mix, dude. Like, yeah, if, they're, if they are pounding the pavement, they can get an owner to be like, hey, actually, I want to I sell with this guy versus the guy I've known for five years. Absolutely, I jump on that train fast, right? And again, same, same thing, right? Like, I mean, I'm not saying that I would say like, like don't work with those young agents on the commercial side, but like if you can find them and, and they're actually like, they're actually going out there doing the work and, and finding deals. And absolutely. I mean, it's all about a win-win situation on both ends. Right. So if they're finding deals and you can execute on them and you can grow with them, that's absolutely the best way you can do it. Right. Um, lowest hanging fruit, right. It's going to be the, the brokers that have had the relationship. They had the systems down already. Right. So, I mean, it, there's no harm in working both angles there where, Hey man, I'd, I'd love to support you in your journey. Um, as long as you can help support me in my journey as well, right? So it's a you know both give and take, right? Win-win situation. And so, how would you go about creating that relationship with a more established broker, given that you're basically a nobody to them? Like, how why would they take you seriously? Yeah, yeah, and that's a tough part, right? You gotta, yeah. I mean, it's like I said, it's it's how you show up every day, how you show up to every conversation you have with them, right? So it's not like like one. The number one thing is don't waste their time, <laughs> right? If you're not ready to buy, don't waste their time, right? Like. I know like and when I'm engaged with my brokers, like I'm ready to rock. Like I'm putting LOIs in, right? I put like three LOIs in this week. Sometimes I'll put blind LOIs in, right? Because I'm helping them get fed, right? So if you just go in the angle of like, all right, like what do they what do they need? They need to get fed, right? So, you know, if they have deals that are on there, I'll evaluate, I'll evaluate every single deal. I'll tell them, hey, this is not good or, or it is good, right? And, and and I'll even give them a price. I, I'll say even like yesterday, I was like, Hey man, like the best I can do is this. Like I'll put an LOI if you want me to, right? Um, but like I'm, I don't want to waste your time, right? So just being really respectful of their time as well, because as you know, man, like everyone's time is valuable, not just ours, but theirs as well, right? So honoring that, letting them like asking permission of like, hey, man, like, do you want me to? Like, I will do this if you feel like this can get the deal done. I'll put it in for sure, but I don't want to waste yes. your time. And can we go into a little like in depth of how you analyze deals? Like, what numbers are you looking for specifically? Uh, on a commercial or residential? Let's go commercial. Yeah. So commercial side of things, like, well, I mean, when we go to do due diligence, right, you're, you're getting all those documents, like rent rolls, T12s, profit and losses, utilities, right? So right now I'm working on a deal, a 36 unit where 
we just got all the information of utilities, taxes, garbage bills, lawn care. Because um, obviously in you know commercial space, like you know, you're always looking at what the income is, right? Because investors are the ones that are buying this, not like a emotional buyer that's like, I'm gonna live here. That's only investors really, right? So I'm looking to make sure that all the data like looks correct, right? Like, is this still work for my numbers, right? So you told me on a pro forma, like your the operating expenses are X, Y, Z for lawn care, for utilities, all that stuff, right? Um, so what I'm doing is I'm verifying. I get the data back and I'm like, all right, what does the actual data say, right? So for example, on this one, we got the due diligence back. A um, couple of things. One was, yeah, their water bill is a lot higher than they said it was, right? I think they were projecting like 12K and it actually is like 18K, right? So that's one thing, right? The other thing is verification of leases, right? So I look at all the leases, right? And I'm like, all right, well, does it actually lease score, correlate with what you told me on your rent rolls? Um, and of, of course, it, it's going to you know, potentially change depending on how long your due diligence is. Like maybe someone moved out, blah, blah, blah. But I just want to make sure I have all my ducks in a row, right? Because at the end of the day, the, the key metrics I look for is you got to look at the NOI, right? The NOI, what's my NOI going to be? I'm building in the CapEx, building in you know, uh, what my renovation budget is going to be um, and what I think it's going to be worth after you know, putting that budget in and if I can raise rents to X, Y, Z. Now, back to the mat napkin, uh, like one thing I'll always look for in a deal in a commercial space is what is the rents right now and what is market rents, right? So 10 unit, we'll call it just for easy math. Like I could raise rents by 200 bucks a door. Cool, I just raise, you know, my income by 200, you know, 200K, whatever it is, like what are 20K, like, I can't do math right now, whatever it is. And but if you do that, right, then you're at a Y, right? You know, saying it's a 50% or 42% you know, operating ratio or expense ratio, right? Then you kind of just do the back math of like, you know, what can I afford? Just like we do back math on residential, right? Like, you know, on the first side, you, I, I can just get my calculator out nowadays. I don't even need a deal analyzer. You just get your calculator out and say, hey, is this a deal that I think I should even look at deeper, right? So same thing there. It's like, all right, like, you know, is there a spread in, in what they are today versus what the rents are going to be? Because in the commercial, in my mind, like you need a value add. Right. If you're getting in the commercial, you can't just buy turnkey and just like, you know, have that way. Well, you could, but like, I think the most efficient way to be in commercial is when you do value add, because if not, then, you know, you're not really adding anything, right. You're not, you're not forcing any appreciation. Right. And do you have any like target like metrics that you want to get like, ca uh, like cash flow per door or IRR? I, I don't know. How are you like evaluating your deals? Like to make it worth your time? Yeah. I mean, for me, like, the evaluation is, is almost like a burr, right? Like I, I get every commercial deal like a burr. Can I get my money out after, right? So, hey, what if I can get rent? What is today, right? And to me, like, I used to be more like, when I first deal was like, all right, I want to be at 7% cash on cash when I, when I enter. And I want to be able to get my money out after I get out, after I renovate and get the rents up, right? But nowadays, I look at more like, all right, I, I care less about maybe what, what I'm entering at, as long as it maybe like breaks even or cash flows a little bit, right? And I, I care about, okay, at stabilization, I want to be at the 7% at least. Right, because now I'm looking at all the different exit strategies. But then, after uh, exit, right, of the, of the you know refinance, we'll call it. I want to have all my money out, right? Mm. So that's what I look for. I mean, if it's a deal that I want to do, like yes or no, like that's really what my maximum available offer is going to be. Is, is is if I can get my money out at the end of it, based on my projections and based on my conservative projections. Makes sense. And then, um, are you also putting like twenty percent down for these multifamily properties? Yeah, twenty percent down. Yeah. Okay. And I'm guessing because it's above that $1 million threshold, you're doing like a, was it a Freddie Mac small balance loan? So like it depends on the project, right? So uh, like even this project right now, we're, we're going recourse in, right? And then we're going to refinance to, you know, Fannie Freddie loan. Got it. So you're doing like a bridge loan first because, you know, you want to refinance later and then get your money yeah. out. Whereas I think yep, exactly. it's like, yeah, I think they have like the uh, institutional debt has prepayment penalties which make it hard to refinance later on. Yeah, if you do like it. exactly. So like, the people I work with right now, it's recourse, but there's no prepayment penalties, right? So it's great. So like we, you know, we project a year at least to, to get our money back out kind of thing. So after that year, cool. Like I don't want a prepayment penalty, right? I just want to be able to get my money back out and then go into non-recourse, right? So that we're all out of, you know, personal, personal guarantees and all that stuff. Makes sense. So I guess going back to like, what you're doing. So you left your full-time job recently to now be a real estate investor full-time. How are you spending that time nowadays? <laughs> man, that's a great question. It's really relevant to kind of my life right now, man. So, um, so Ed Milet, one of my buddies is telling me that like, like what well, I've heard this before, but Ed Milet is you know, kind of like Tony Robbins kind of guy, right? And he has his philosophies that you can have six hour days where you can get everything done like an old person can do in six hours. And, and, but you can have three of those days in one day, right? So I've kind of built my, my day now 
because again, like as a W2 person, your, your schedule is pretty structured, right? You know exactly what I got these calls, I got this corporate call, blah, blah, blah. But as an entrepreneur, it's kind of unscrambled, right? It's like, you got to figure out what's, what's like important to you, right? So I wish I had it with me today. I'm actually at my, my parents' house right now, but like, um, so I structure my day in six hour blocks now, right? So actually I wake up three hours, like I'm, I, I work out, right? Uh, wake up at like 5.45 is my alarm, work, wake up at like six, <laughs> then work out, right? Uh, then get my, get my, my day started with meditate, uh, you know, do my affirmations in the shower. Right. Then, so I do that for three hours in the beginning of the day. Right. Then I start my day 8am boom on, on the call of my team, right. Giving them tasks to do for the day, my VAs. And then, um, the first half of my day I spent on like the invest investment side of things. Right. So, um, I, I have like a block out for like the big three. Hey, this is the big things I, I need to do today to get me to my, my, my vivid vision. Right. So again, like and we talk about vivid vision, right? It's always that long-term goal, but then you work backwards. So, okay, what's my monthly, what's my, what's my yearly, what's my daily and what's my, you know, today goal. Right. So big three is the habits to build to get there. And then, um, like my the other hours of that block is, you know, messaging, reaching out to brokers, analyzing deals, you know, things like that. Right. Then my next six hours, I'm focused on the university, right. I'm talking about, you know, building out the systems, making the delivery for my students better, talking to students, things like that. Uh, talk to my team, right. Talking to the coaches, making sure that all that is tight and we we're on lockstep of where, where, the, where our mission is and where our vision is. Um, and then that's the next six hours. And then I have three hours at the end of the day that I would spend for myself and, and for Jenny. I block out a, we have a date night on Wednesdays after seven thirty. Um, that is a non-negotiable uh, date night, um, that we, I'm not going to say we're perfect at this, but we try not to be on our phones. Right. Um, Actually, the other day we we literally switched phones so we wouldn't be tempted. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how I structure my my day nowadays. That's cute. Um, so how, how's it like working with your um, your partner? You know, um, I know sometimes when you're working with someone that you're in a relationship with, it can be like kind of difficult. I'm just wondering like, how that how's that experience with you like for you? Yeah, it's funny, man, because I think we both have like, you know, sitting together others that are on board with what we're doing, which is awesome, right? And I guess first off, like honor that, man. That's it's if you found someone like that too, that's such an amazing experience to, to be able to share with someone. Uh, but that being said, yeah, it's it's not always easy, dude, right? We you know, obviously sometimes we have different philosophies on things, like, oh, we should have done that or should have done that, or like, you know, how we how are we splitting up roles and stuff. So I mean, again, like it's gonna sound super cliche, but it's constant communication. We do um, the one thing couples re- retreat uh, like questionnaire every year. Um, so just so that we're in lockstep of like understanding like where we're at, like what we other mentally and like, you know, what, what they actually want in, in, like, in, in their life kind of thing. Um, and not only in just like real estate, right. But also like in like family, like, and especially now that Jenny and I are engaged, right. Like, you know, we've always been pretty open with each other. Like I'm open book. Um, like we've always even talked about like finances, like pretty early on in our relationship, which is I think really healthy. I, I don't know why it's so taboo in this world that, I can't talk about finances, right? It's like, dude, like, no, let's be open. Like, honestly, it's, it's probably because of shame, right? It's shame. They don't want to get judged by their partner. And that's why they keep it hush hush. Right. And, and actually for me and Jenny, and I'm sure she told you this too, but we're also pretty competitive with each other, right? So we actually had a bet that every year that's like, all right, well, who can make more money, right? If, if the person that loses has to buy the other in an investment property. And for anyone out there that knows, like my uh, LLC one of my LLCs is named BAE Property Holdings, Bay Property Holdings. And people are like, what does that mean? I'm like, well, don't worry about it. I lost a bet. <laughs> um, and that's what that means. So, um, yeah, and I think healthy-wise, and again, we're not perfect by any means, but I think just over-communicating sometimes and and just understanding, like, okay, well, and we actually do this really cool exercise nowadays where I keep on forgetting that. I want to call it the emojin, di- emojin dialogue or something like that. It's, it's it's something like that. She knows the name of this better, but really one person will just speak for like 15 minutes straight and the other person is just receiving and you don't say anything. The other person can't say anything. And it's tough for me because I like to talk, right? So I like to shut up, right? And that's probably tougher for me than it is for her. So I, I, I shut up and I let her talk, right? And she kind of like gets everything out and at the end of it, you say, what else, right? And then it's just like, and then, and then she talks for more. Like I literally had a dinner. We had dinner the other day where we did this and hilarious because like I've never been to dinner where I never talked, right? So I was at dinner and she was just like talking, right? Talking, 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 talking. And I was just receiving, right? But it was really good because sometimes you just need that release valve, right? And then after that, you switch sides and then you talk and they're not supposed to say anything. Because sometimes when you talk and have a conversation, it kind of derails from what you really want to get out all the time. So it was a really powerful exercise to do. One of our coaches had, had taught us that. It's like, 
just ha- just talk and just listen. And that sounds so simple, but I, I, I swear to God, it's changed uh, a lot of dynamics of communication for us. That's hilarious because uh, sometimes when we get in like arguments, right? She talks, I just listen. I'm like, hey, I get it. I get it. I'm good. And she's like, say something, say more. <laughs> I'm like, oh, damn it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so maybe in that case, yeah. So maybe expectations like, hey, you're going to talk for 15 minutes. I'm not, right? And then I'm going to say something and you're not going to talk, right? Because I'm probably usually, more like, like, yeah. Yeah. You usually have to like think about it for like a whole night and be like, all right, I got to think <laughs> about what to say. Because sometimes I say the wrong thing, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You're probably more like Jenny and I'm, I'm probably more like Shane. Right? I, I, I go up, I wear my emotions on the sleeve. I'm just like, whoosh, like I'm going right away. Is like more analytical about like like let me get back to you on the conversation on that so that that's that's yeah. funny but you need that dynamic too I, I think that 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 synergy really helps out too of like you know some things that she's really good at I'm not right there's I'm, some things I'm really good at like she's not and just kind of having expectations of those roles has been really cool I mean we've kind of had like these you know, expectations of our of our partnership we'll call it and then you know part of like even like you know our, our whole relationship has changed so much than, since we started dating. I think I met you in Vegas, like way back then. We were different people back then, man. Like for sure. I think we had just both started our real estate journey like that, like five, six years ago, whatever it was. And like, um, like who, who, what, how our relationship was structured then was is totally different than how it is now. Like, and I think that what I honor and really appreciate the most of, you know, our relationship and probably your relationship too with Sharon is like, man, you, we've grown so much in different ways, right? Like through our relationship versus I've been in relationships before where, you never grow, right? It's kind of like, it's, it's like, like that's always been the, the baseline relationship. Like maybe one person grows and the other person doesn't, right? That's tough, right? Where, where both people are, are, are kind of growing together and, and maybe it's so different ways, but you're still growing, right? Together, um, you know, in, 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 for a common goal, I guess. That's like really cool. Yeah, and it's really cool to work with your significant other. Like I have never, you know, basically work with another uh, of my past exes, you know, in the past. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, and again, that's why I asked you, because like, there's, there's not too many people who are in the space who really does the same thing with their significant other. Usually it's yeah. like when the guy's doing it or like the girl's doing it, but usually not as a couple together. And, yeah. uh, you know, I've had partnerships in the past too, like with like friends and whatnot, where we try to do things together and, you know, just working with your significant other, like it's, it's different, right? Because there's an emotional component to it. Um, but that's actually a good thing too, because like, if there's an issue and if it is your friend, sometimes you can't always say what's on your mind, right? You have to have some kind of barrier where you're like, all right, I gotta yeah. be respectful. Cause he's my friend, right? Yep. He's my business partner. Gotta be respectful. But when you're, when you're a significant other, yes, you have to be respectful, but you can still be more open. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you can be like, no, like and you can say things pretty bluntly. Cause you know, like they're with you. So like Sharon and I had this course together, right? And it took us a whole year to get this launched. One of the reasons is because we had a lot of disagreements on what kind of content we should put on it. She has a certain standard of quality. I was like, no, let's just release it. You know, uh, done is better than perfect, right? Yeah. Uh, a lot of arguments back and forth. And of course, like another hard part is when you're working with your significant other, you are usually like going to be working at the lower energy of whoever is working. Mm, with. As an yeah. example, I want to work. She wants to watch TV. We end up watching TV. It happens. <laughs> and uh Whereas I guess with a partnership, it'd be like, no, like you would get one thing done. The other person wouldn't get stuff done. Yeah. You know what I found, Sean? The best technique there is, you know, is, is you have a conversation with them and you compromise and you just do what she wants to do. And that's how you, (laughs) (laughs) and that's how it works, dude. (laughs) I completely agree. So like, how's it been for you? Like, I guess like in terms of like arguments and whatnot, do you guys just handle it or is there anything like special about that? You know, it's funny, man. We, we haven't had like, like any, like any big fights, right? Like they, I can name maybe two big fights we've had in our life, right? And our, we've been dating, well, I guess engaged now. We've been together for six and a half years now, almost seven now, man, time flies. But uh, I mean, like it, it's just, I think it just really depends on, on the people, right? Like I, I'm like a pretty level-headed person and she is too, which is like, you know, I think of that. Like a lot of things like, and, and my, my flaws from this is like, if it doesn't, matter in five years don't dwell on it for five minutes so yeah maybe you know you get a little ticked off but then you think about it like like it's the same thing as a fear conversation right like where's this coming from like why am i so wild up right now let me just take five minutes right if i still feel this way in five minutes then maybe it's worth a more conversation but if it doesn't matter in five years from now then i'm not gonna spend more than five minutes on it then i'm, I'm releasing it right and the other aspect is, is yeah i mean like if you can't control them then there's nothing that either person can do right like we all make mistakes and we all you know we, I'm sure we sometimes we, we also have different opinions and stuff, but then you kind of talk it out with them. Like, all right, well, 
let's hear your side, here's my side, like what actually makes the most sense? Cause then like together, I mean, we're still working for the same thing. You can't lose sight of that. Like, like I'm always in the fact of like, all right, well, like at the end of the kill, at the end of the day, like our vivid vision, like I know her vision, she does my vivid vision. Like we're pretty locked up on a lot of those, you know, vivid vision stuff. Now, one thing that I'll, I'll, I'll share this, it might be TMI, but I'll, I'll share it anyways, but we just got engaged. And you know, when you get engaged, the first thing that all your family members and all your friends are asking is when you have kids, right? We have a disagreement on when we want to have kids, right? <laughs> and it's just a conversation. I'm not like, it's not an argument. I wouldn't define it as an argument, right? Um, you know, I define it as, hey, we're having a conversation about how we want to plan our lives together, right? And I think it's that perspective piece, right? And like, even like, as I look at like, leaving a w2 job like i don't think i'm quitting a w2 job what i feel like i'm doing is i'm retiring from corporate that's how I, like my mindset works on that right so just even the verbiage switch of like i'm not quitting because uh, like quitting to me it's like you're leaving it because like you know you couldn't do it right like from my mind like i'm retiring i have a choice so i'm retiring from, from doing that right so same thing with these kind of um conversations i'll call it it's like dude like it's not a, we're just having a conversation about planning together and yeah we have disagreements on the conversation but hey like, at the end of the goal like I know that she's a woman I love and I want to be with her. And like, yeah, well, you know, we, we both are except from having a family. Just, you know, how, how do we plan on, you know, living the life and being the CEO of our lives and designing it the way we want to together, right? So yeah. we compromise and just, and just do what she wants to do. <laughs> That's amazing. So I know you guys have been investing together, but you also recently created that university. Do you want to talk about Zencoast University and like why you guys created it in the first place? Yeah. So, I mean, I think I, I kind of put some nuggets in, in the beginning, but like really for us was like that first mountain piece was, Hey, how can we get our cup full? Right. Of, you know, and, and to be honest, like we had done, you know, we went to the one thing couples retreat years ago and in our one thing journal, we have our someday goals. Right. And then someday's goals, like we had like, like, uh, I think it was in like 20 and then 2019, early 2020, like we, I, I opened that back up just, you know, you, sometimes you're just like reviewing your old journals. Right. I looked at my Sunday goals and I was like, man, like, holy crap, we've hit a lot of these, right? We bought our dream house last year and, you know, we've had our passive income goal that was always like our effort number, right? Like that we thought was our effort number back in the day. And again, like, like the board always changes now. Um, and um, so like, you know, we were in this lockstep of like, man, like we're feeling really fulfilled. Like, you know, what can we do now? Like the second mountain of like, how can we get back, right? How can we create an impact on people? And we're like, again, like, like not, we're not very good at, passing out soup and I don't think you could do it during COVID anyways. Um, and I actually did, I, I, I got pretty decently far in looking at nonprofits and, and starting one of those. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, we're like, all right, well, like how can we help other people live an abundant life and then give that to others? How can we compound that, right? That effect, right? So that's where we launched the idea of Zen Coast, right? And, um, you know, started creating that and with, with the mindset of, okay, like I said before, like, and this is our slogan is like help, helping people create passive income so that they, they can create passive impact passive income for passive impact and that, that 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 to me was so powerful of like like just looking at real estate as a vehicle of like the big why right for people right so like a lot of people and and we like turned down soon because they're like oh yeah like i'm just all about like i just want to be rich well why do you want to be rich what's the substance behind that well i just want to be rich because that's what you know the joneses is or that's what society tells me i should do to be successful well that's not the kind of student that we want if that's the case hey, I, we got a bunch of you know friends that have posts that you know you can, you can go to those right but like for us, it's like, all right, well, what are you going to do is real estate for, right? Is it for your family? Is it to spend time with people? Is it to give back? And our philosophies, our students are like, it should be about throwing the rope back down, right? So for our students, like our goal and our mission is like, hey, we want to get you the passive income goal that you desire, right? And they can get you to have your cup full. But at, at the same time, the culture of it is I want you to throw the rope back down to other people because I know that's what happened to me. I'm sure that's happened to you of your mentors, right? You get there, you get at the top of the mountaintop, you throw the rope down so that other people can get up there too, right? And um, that's our philosophy on, on Zenkos universities. Yeah, we focus a lot on the um, real estate investing side, sure, the how-to side, but really it's more about a community piece for us. Right? Mm -hmm. It's all about like, how can everyone inside this community help each other out, right? And support each other, because it's not easy, right? Um, quote that I always love saying is, if you want to go, and one of my mentors for me always, always say, is like, you want to go fast, you go alone. You want to go far, you go together, right? And in real estate, you know, it's more than best, uh, you, you know, it's really well. It's like, it's a people game, man. It's, you can't do this by yourself. Right. Um, so, you know, how you show up to everyone, how you show up in every conversation, how you show up to other people, right. You never know where deals are going to come from. We've been in masterminds where, you know, we just are authentic people to other people, like genuinely just trying to like be friends and like uh, understand them and not, not expecting anything in return. 
and those have organically turned into you know deals or you know partnerships or things like that and you know that's what i preach it's like dude like just show up as a good genuine authentic person and the universe will take care of itself yeah i mean uh you guys let me speak at one of your courses a couple of months ago and i mm-hmm. saw the community it was like really good everyone's really supportive it was interesting though i didn't realize you were going to do like meditation and affirmations for the new. <laughs> i was like oh what's this this is new yeah. i've never seen that before um yeah. what can someone expect if they were to join your university program yeah and i love how you mentioned that too because um you know we all work at our jobs right our nine to five jobs right and and what we don't want is when people show up to our calls to be so stressed out about oh man i got this fire drill work or whatever like we do this Wim Hof, we do the meditations, we do the Tony Robbins fire breathing exercises, uh, you know, heart rocks, things like that, because we want people to get in the right mindfulness to be able to absorb the information they're about to receive. Because if they're not, right, if they're still stuck on, man, that guy at work was a total dick, right? Like that's all we're going to be thinking about the whole time. And we don't want that energy in that uh, call, right? We don't have, we're holding that container, we're protecting the container coming in, right? So I guess to answer your question of, you know, what to expect, right? Like, yeah, I mean, our, our, our tangible goal is, you know, every student, one, we focus on one mindset, what, like removing roadblocks. We focus on the mentorship, which is strategy, right? The systems that in place to, to be a real estate investor. Um, and third is the community and accountability, right? We want all those three aspects more important than one. And, and, and selfishly, or, you know, fully transparent, like, you know, we, Jenny and I have been in a lot of masterminds in our lives, right? We've been, we, we, we taught to talk because we've been coached too. Like we still invest six figures in coaching ourselves every year, right? So we just take the best parts of what we've seen work for us. And that's what we made Zencoast, right? And that's why we have those three pillars. So what can someone expect is, yeah, you expect all those three pillars, but really like my, the tangible goal, right? For all my students are, yeah, you should be in your first investment property if you want to in the first six months, right? But the unintangible goal is that you should feel empowered and confident to take action and go from building that foundation, which has been the habit of building the first six months to being an identity of, of a real estate investor. I am a real estate investor. I am a real estate investor. I'm a apartment complex indicator. I'm a part, like just saying it over and over to affirm that that is who you are, right? So at the end of those six months, yeah, tangibly, sure. Investment property, great. But unintangibly is that you should feel confident, empowered to take that action and, and know that I can do this, right? And here's a real life story. Like literally I had a, I was talking to a, a broker that's like, hey man, like I got this deal here. Like you need, I need to know in the next five, 10 minutes if you can do this or else I gotta go to the next investor. Right, because that's the market that we're in right now. It's so hot, right? Um, and I almost seems to be able to pick up that phone in five, ten minutes. Understand? Hey, is this a good deal that I should get on the contract or not? Right. So that's what everyone should expect is that that kind of level of like you know feeling of transformation of I can do this and watch me do this because I'm gonna do it on the phone and, and analyze the deal in five minutes. Yeah. I mean, you, brief, you briefly mentioned like who it's not for, like if they just want to get rich, it's probably not a good fit, but who would you say is like the ideal person that would want to join your program? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I'll focus more on like the, like who they are in, in their being, right? It's someone that, that wants to do this to give back, right? The, the students that I love, love, love working with are the ones that are like, man, like I'm doing this. So like I can give and take, right? They're never asking for anything. They're always giving. Right? I have a student right now that's just proactively just reaching out to other students and just being, Hey, like, how can I help man? Like, I, I've done this before, like, right. And that, like that, that, that right there says everything about a person, right. About like who you want to surround yourself with, who you want to work with long-term is someone that is always trying to give because, you know, the way the universe works, man, is like, if you, if you give and it's going to come back around to you, like I'm a big believer in karma and what you put out there is what you get back. Right. So the per, the person that we're looking for is, yeah, one person that is, you know, obviously looking to the scale of their passive income portfolio and, and have a choice in life. Not to say that the, some people love, we have students that love the W-2 and they will never leave, but they also want that security of having their, you know, revenue source as well. That's fine, right? But I want to know the why, right? So we interview every single student that comes in and understand, okay, cool. Like, you have your passive income, sure. But why do you want that, right? And that answer is, I just want to be filthy, sick, and rich, right? Because I, I want to be, and that's what I see on MTV Cribs. And that's all they can give, right? Then man, there's something about that that is probably not aligned with what we're trying to you know, teach as, as people because we're, tra- we're trying to transform people, right? Not like just teach them how to do real estate. So, so the, the person that it is for, right, is, is that person that understands, hey, there's something else out there. I want to make, make a transformation in my life. And I know from the core that I, I got to do that from internally first, and then I can go externally and I can fill my own cup first, and then I can give back. Yeah, awesome. Well, Calvin, thank you so much for your time and coming on the show today. How can people find out more about you? 
Yeah, just find me on, on Instagram or Facebook, um, uh, Calvin Chin, anyone on Instagram, Calvin Chin on, on Facebook. And uh, our website is zencoastuniversity.com. So if you're ever curious about just scheduling a call and learning more, just uh, go on the website and, and book the call. Awesome. Well, Calvin, thank you again so much for your time. Appreciate it. Absolutely, Sean. Take care, man. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.